Good morning, everyone, and welcome to another episode of All Our Friends Are Brainwashed. Uh, it's just me flying solo again today. This episode was planned super quickly, and unfortunately, Julian wasn't able to make it today. But I have a really awesome guest for you guys today who has loads of insight and knowledge about the media, its history, how it operates. Uh, how's it going, Cliff? Um, it's going well. How are you doing today, Stevie? I'm doing pretty good. I'm really excited about this episode. Um, you're the best person I could think of to come on and talk about ideas in the media. Uh, so, you know, I know you teach a class on media and the mass media and its influence on society, right? That's right. So yep. how have for have for a while since uh, probably since about the time Facebook was started. So oh, wow. it's been a while. So how did you get into that? Like what made you want to get interested in studying and teaching that? Well, like a lot of people film and you know, movie going as a kid was kind of my entree for um, loving media. So I grew up on the films of Steven Spielberg and and going to not only his movies, but just movies in general. That was uh, really my um, first love when it comes to media. For other people, it's music or some people are avid readers. But for me, it was film. And so going to movies as a kid, um, uh, I then uh, got into uh, sort of communications in general. Uh, and loving not only films in general, but documentaries, uh, and then uh, education, um, learning more about film, and not just film, but just learning more about um, the world in general. I loved um, my educational opportunities. I took them seriously. I encourage other people to take their educational opportunities seriously. So um, loving media was something that was both emotional for me, and I enjoyed the experience, uh, but then it's also been an intellectual pursuit as well. Yeah, I, I really love that. And it seems like you're really passionate about, you know, spreading the, the ideas and um, the knowledge that you have about what you've learned and, you know, the way that things operate. And um, I, I really admire that because I think a lot of the times people will try to push certain ideas on people and the way that you seem to approach it is really just like think for yourselves absolutely everybody we all have a perspective and our perspective is shaped by a host of things our life experience our educational experience our religious background work experience just uh, so each you know person obviously is unique and we need to present our best selves um for the sake of each other is how I look at it, our, our ethical and moral obligation to each other. And so we need to think for ourselves um, 
but I would say that thinking for ourselves is also something that we can do in community. And I hope that doesn't sound paradoxical, but but um, we read the works of others. We watch the documentaries of others. And so as we think for ourselves, we need to do so, I would say, in a communal context. And I, I would be hard-pressed to think of anyone um, with valuable things to contribute who wouldn't also say, you know, I've read the work of so-and-so, I've watched the work of so-and-so, I talk regularly with so-and-so, or I have mentors in the field. And so, yes, we need to think for ourselves in conjunction with dialoguing with our fellow human beings. Oh, yeah, That's, absolutely. I think, not only important, but it's, it's it helps us live into our full humanity, I would say. Yeah, for sure, for absolutely. Um, I definitely want to get into talking about the history and like how the media has evolved over time. If you want to touch on that too. Sure. Well, I think the most salient uh, topic right now would just be digital communications, digital media, the digital revolution. Uh, as I say, you know, we, and I'm not the only person who says this, but I try to remind people when asked this question that we are living through uh, with many people, say, I think accurately so, is a communications revolution, that our media platforms have become digital, and with that means uh, they are cheap and they are quick. And these are things that we take um, to be good things, uh, speed uh, and, and fast, of course. Um, and those are good things, uh, but it has also sort of upended uh, certainly media industries, it's upending, maybe it's even fair to say, maybe upending is, a, is an overstatement, but it's messing with our um, brain structure or the ways in which we're able to think. Uh, and so these facts require our uh, considered attention and our intentionality and the fact that we are up to our eyeballs and all kinds of digital platforms uh, that is not an excuse for ignoring them. Uh, we need to not make the mistake of thinking that because something is popular or because it's familiar, because it's accessible, that those are reasons why they deserve less of our attention. I would say on the contrary, those are reasons why they deserve more of our attention. And so digital media, um, this is this is critical and it speaks to certainly the economics of media and we can talk more about this or take it in several directions but generally speaking uh, we're living in a in a communications revolution marked by the digital nature of it yeah definitely um i think that a lot of the things going on with the media now compared to how it used to be you know how it's developed over time too has become more of an agenda to kind of to get actual news out to people and, you know, to tell people what was going on, you know, back when people had newspapers and they would read the newspapers and it, it was something that people could trust to tell them, you know, what was going on. Um, but over time, it seems like it's, it's changed a little bit into more of a business type agenda that kind of, you know, leans a certain way and isn't, doesn't necessarily always tell its audience the truth. And there's, you know, there's a lot of specifics that we could get into on that. Um, a lot. One thing I love to bring up is the War of the Worlds broadcast, when 
they had the the Orson Welles 1938 when they were talking about how there was an alien invasion and some people turned on their radios and they heard these things being told that there was an alien invasion and people didn't even stop to think about anything. They just kind of went crazy and ran out their houses and, you know, were calling their neighbors. And so what are your thoughts on that, on how the media has changed over time? Sure. Well, let's just pick up with War of the Worlds. Uh, glad you mentioned it. 1938, the famous immediate moment, certainly in this country. And I would call people's attention to a book written by a guy named Brad Schwartz. Uh, the book is called Broadcast Hysteria, Orson Welles' War of the Worlds and the Art of Fake News. And so I thought Brad Schwartz did just a terrific job uh, looking at that broadcast and analyzing the response to it. And then talking really at the end of the book, talking about that whole broadcast in the context of fake news, something that has been a buzzword over the last several years uh, and that will continue to be talking about going forward. Um, but, you know, that broadcast Certainly, it illustrates a moment in which people misunderstood news. And what's critical, well, there are several critical things about that, that media moment, one of which has to do with people's understanding of and trust in what was then a relatively new media platform. And we're talking about radio and really news delivery and getting news and information. Uh, that was the domain of newspapers. And then with uh, the invention of electricity and sending signals on the airwaves, radio became a thing. And radio started to move in on the domain of newspapers. And as people began to hear news on the radio, they really had to develop a relationship with the radio as a thing. And in this relationship, uh, one facet of it would, of course, be trust, as people might have trusted newspapers to be telling the truth. People were going to develop a relationship with radio and uh, might trust if you will, to tell the truth. Well, and then here's this broadcast. It's a, it's a, an adaptation of a science fiction novel, The War of the Worlds. And uh, Orson Welles, uh, a creative genius, uh, pitches this story, tells this story uh, using a news bulletin, um, something that people were familiar with on the radio. They were getting accustomed to hearing legitimate news bulletins on the radio. And Orson Welles sort of leveraged that uh that mechanism of the day, the news bulletin on the radio for a creative endeavor. And uh, some people were confused by that, uh, certainly at least initially. Uh, and then some people got over quickly their confusion. Uh, for other people, the confusion lingered a bit. And then Brad Schwartz, what's terrific about the book is that he unpacks this moment to say that uh, what may have been uh, fake news about this whole incident was not so much the fact that so many people believed it, but what may have been fake news was the way that newspapers themselves exaggerated the extent of the panic after the panic was over, after the quote-unquote panic was over, that maybe that was the real fake news. And he points to the, the fact that uh, newspapers perhaps had something to gain by maintaining their dominance over news. Uh, and so, you know, it's uh, he does an, a great job of unpacking that, but it's relevant for us now because uh, kind of, you know, there's nothing new under the sun. Well, here's the 1930s, a new medium's on the scene. People are having to come to terms with their relationship with it and how it can be trusted, if it can be trusted. 
people on the radio in the 1930s, and then here we are uh, in the 21st century, and we're having to determine, all right, what is our relationship basically with the internet right now? How can it be trusted? Can it be trusted? Uh, and there are ways in which the, the analogy breaks down between the internet and radio, of course. But generally speaking, um, I think it's fair to be talking about the world of the worlds because it does speak to our trust issues with media platforms. Yeah, absolutely. That's that's a point that I always bring up as the world of the worlds broadcast with people. And it just it feels so relevant. And I mean, I love that you were saying that the real fake news was more so the newspaper exaggerating the reaction to the broadcast, which is interesting to me because they took that as truth and ran with it. And some people were like, no, you know, I know what this is. And then people turned immediately to another medium, the newspaper, about the story of it. And I mean, I, I think there's, it, it was kind of like a divide between yeah. people. Yeah, and people, when people heard this broadcast that was fictitious, uh, people, not everybody interpreted it the same way. The response was not uniform across the board. Media scholars will, will talk about this and have talked about this incident in 1938 in various ways and for various reasons, one reason being that people did respond differently. And while that may seem obvious to us now, that was a little bit of a, of a new development in media scholarship, um, an important one, which was the discovery or the finding or the reminder that we don't all interpret the same media messages in the same way. We hear bits and pieces of them. We bring our own life and educational experience to them. And so um, there is no magic bullet or hypodermic needle theory. We're not all getting the same message and we're all powerless to defend ourselves against it. No, uh, that, that we as individuals, we're bringing a lot of baggage to the media stimuli that we consume. And we need to remember that. And we can't assume that, well, this is how it struck me. Okay, well, it struck you that way. But we can't assume that it struck everyone else that way. And we do ourselves a disservice, I think, when we forget this fact. What do you think is, is the biggest point to kind of give to people about how they should view or take the media? I mean, it's it's not that they should not trust absolutely anything anywhere at all, but it's also not that they should trust everything everywhere that they see or that they hear. Yeah, uh, actually, the book I referenced by Brad Schwartz called Broadcast Hysteria at the very beginning, he has a quote from Edgar Allan Poe. I think it's from a short story of Poe's in the 1840s. And Poe said, believe nothing you hear and only one half that you see. Uh, and it's interesting how relevant uh, that 100%. quote from the mid-1800s is nowadays with what we call fake news, mm. with what we call deep fakes or deep fake technology. Uh, and, and so, you know, but the quote again, believe nothing you hear and only one half that you see. Now, I want to be careful in bringing that quote up because I think that's a great quote. I think it's relevant. However, I, I think there's a way in which people can take that uh, um that idea and go too far with it, mm -hmm. which is to say, well, I'm just going to throw up my hands. Nobody can really know anything. And um, everybody's out to get me. And I don't think that's helpful, nor do I think it's true. And so I think we can be analy analytical, we can be practical, we can be even critical and warranted. But there's a, a danger or we should be wary of going too far in the other direction. That is to say, um, we should be 
uh, analytical with our listening and watching and viewing, um, but not necessarily thinking um, that everybody is just out to get me or to control me. Um, I'm not saying that some people don't have an agenda. I think some people do. Oftentimes that agenda is making money. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, that, that's a word of the wise as well. Yeah. Well, that was the, the next point I was going to bring up too, was that I think it's important for people to realize that a lot of the media is, you know, operating as a business Sure. and it's important to follow the money. Absolutely. We should follow the money. One of my uh, favorite lines from the 1976 film, all the president's men about Watergate, uh, where, um, sort of the, the secret source for the journalist Woodward and Bernstein says to uh, Woodward, uh, follow the money. Uh, so yeah, we should follow the money and remember that media, um, in general, mass media, they're a profit-driven enterprise. And the fact that someone is trying to make money, I don't think that that makes a person or an institution evil. Um, most people I know are trying to make money. Uh, there are more and less ethical ways to go about it, to be certain. Um, but we do need to remember that when we are talking about media, um, people are making money. And whether that's uh, a large media corporation or whether it's an individual with a, a YouTube channel who's trying to get his or her videos monetized, uh, people are, are trying to make money. Uh, and I think it's possible to recognize that and keep an eye on the money ball while we're also saying, okay, well, there, there is still good reporting out there. There are still uh, factual statements that people can make, and there are people out there still working for the common good using tools of journalism. I think both of these things can be true at the same time, mm -hmm. uh, but it's up to us as news consumers, as information consumers, as media users and creators uh, to, um, to be aware of that and to be intentional. Mm -hmm. And it takes, it takes effort. It kind of goes back to the fact that because our digital platforms, because they're cheap and they're easy and they're quick, um, we have perhaps been led to believe that those facts make our job easier and probably the opposite is true. Yeah. I and mean, it's important to research and to know, you know, when you when you hear something anywhere, like think for yourself on it first. Don't sure. just run with it and then do your research on it. I mean, I think it's important for people to really try to find the truth themselves or to at least, you know, think, think about it, because something could be totally illogical. And if people have a habit of just running with something or believing everything they hear, then their mindset almost becomes you know, habitually illogical. Yeah. And we do, we have to think for ourselves, research things for ourselves and, and that takes time. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, and one of the things that I, I myself I've tried to commit to, for example, is not uh, retweeting an article that I haven't read. Um, it's something I've done in the past. Okay. This article I think is probably a good article. I liked the headline or I liked the headline in the first paragraph that I read and then I retweeted it. Well, I'm going to stop doing that. Um, if you know, I, I, and that's just an example of a, of a nudge or an alteration in my own media behavior that I think might be helpful for the larger common good. Um, and so, wow, well, if I can't take the time to read the article, then maybe I shouldn't retweet it yeah. uh, maybe we need 
in some cases, less information and not more. Um, so, uh, yeah. Yeah, I'm, I'm guilty of doing the same thing. And I think that it's a thin line and people just kind of cross these little thin lines of comfortability into one thing of, okay, I've gone from researching enough and then I see an article. I'm, I'm going to read a couple lines of it. It seems like, you know, it backs up what I what I already know, what I've, you know, researched, da, da, da. So let me just go ahead and post it. I don't have time to read the whole thing right now. Yeah, I would say um, many people do that and, and certainly uh, – psychological research shows that we that most people's tendency is to want to look for information that supports their pre-existing beliefs and opinions and ideas uh and there's you know you can read plenty of, of articles and studies about things like uh you know living in silos or echo chambers or confirmation bias or um the selective processes, just the ways in which we like to go out and be very selective in what we choose to read. We're looking for those points of view that that make us feel better about what we already believe, as opposed to looking for points of view that may actually challenge some of what we believe. And you know, nobody likes that I'm aware of. Well, maybe I shouldn't say nobody. That's an overstatement. Um, it's hard to embrace cognitive dissonance. It's hard to embrace and put yourself in the position of being presented with information that contradicts what you thought you knew. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't like how that feels. I'm, I don't think I know many people who like how that feels. Yeah, I know. Uh, but if you, if we say that we are interested in the truth or reality, then we have to be more intentional about the pursuit of such and it's going to mean uh stopping thinking that we already know everything so it requires a little bit of humility yeah humility and you gotta be open-minded and again it's not easy you know it's not easy to change to change something that you're so accustomed to it kind of takes mindfulness it's just like changing any other habit or thought process that you have yeah, mindfulness would be a good uh, would be a good um, I think approach or a word to bring up in this context and intentionality. And again, what I've said is that we think because we're surrounded by these things, they're easy, they're accessible, they're convenient. Uh, that we imbe- we are embedding perhaps some bad habits, and uh, and we need to stop. And we can all likely look inward and examine ourselves first and say, hey, what are the bad habits I have been cultivating uh, with regard to media consumption and that I should change? And if one is serious about that, it's possible to change. Yeah. Um, Cliff, the last thing that I wanted to kind of touch on a little bit um, is the video, the Julian Assange video, where he says that if wars can be started by lies, peace can be started by truth. Uh, Do you mind if I play a little bit of the clip real quick so that it'll be on the show and people can hear it? Sure. Okay. In democracies or the pseudo-democracies that we are evolving into, wars are a result of lies. The Vietnam War and the push for U.S. involvement was a result of the Gulf of Tonkin incident. A lie. The Iraq war famously is a result of lies. Wars in Somalia are a result of lies. 
The Second World War and the German invasion of Poland was a result of carefully constructed lies. That is war by media. Let us ask ourselves of the complicit media, which is the majority of the mainstream press, what is the average death count attributed to each journalist? Well, that's that's the most that I wanted to really play of it because I love the point that he made when he said that's that's a war of the media. And I've thought the first thing I thought about that video was the Pentagon Papers when Daniel yeah. Ellsberg released the Pentagon Papers to the press, and you know showed people that that the media and the government was lying to them about the war. Yeah, I mean, there's there's so much. I mean, Julian Assange has been the subject of documentaries and books and films and so forth and so on. So there's a lot that's really embedded. Um, I would call people's attention to a documentary called Page One Inside the New York Times, which looks at uh, the New York Times. Uh, the decade of the, the documentary is probably about a decade or more um, old now. But one of the critical things about the documentary is that it's looking at the New York Times, this traditional journalistic institution in the midst of this digital revolution uh, that we are in right now. And so part of the documentary examines how the New York Times viewed itself with respect to the rise of Julian Assange and WikiLeaks. And so the New York Times and its exposure to and relationships with information leaks, uh, which were happening with regard to WikiLeaks and uh, and the Iraq War, for example, uh, you know that's nothing new to the New York Times. You brought up the Pentagon Papers, one of the most famous examples of a, of an information leak. You know, and that that's it's it's relevant and it's interesting because you know the New York. I'm sorry, the, the Pentagon Papers controversy uh, is really about this, quote unquote, secret history of the Vietnam War mm -hmm. uh, that was being compiled by the U.S. government. The war was not going well. And some people, including a man named Daniel Ellsberg, uh, were aware of that fact that the war was not going well. And he was privy to uh, top secret information, made the choice to leak information. Um, now, I would say um you know, we can talk about the media's complicity and this, that, and the other, but I think it bears pointing out that, that the New York Times was actually a publisher of information that was making the government look bad and to the extent that that government took the New York Times to court to try to get the, this media outlet to stop publishing information. Mm -hmm. And so as I look at the Pentagon Papers uh, controversy and the incident, uh, while we can talk about the media's complicity in other wars or other uh, – other instances of relaying information, depending on papers, is, a, as I think, a real triumph of American journalism. That's covered in the documentary, um, the movie The Post, that came out a couple of years ago with Tom Hanks and Meryl Streep, also related to this, albeit about the Washington Post. Uh, but I would, you know, it, that, 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 uh, statement by Julian Assange, um, you know, where at one point he said something like, I'm not sure it's in a clip you played, but at one point he said something like journalists are war criminals. Well, maybe some journalists are, but uh, I think most journalists are not. And so I would certainly push back on him with that kind of statement. Mm -hmm. um, now, I don't think all information leaks are created equal. Um, 
I think some are handled more responsibly than others. Uh, and so there, there's a lot going on when you get into Julian Assange and WikiLeaks and the yeah. New York Times. But, but absolutely, I mean, I, I would say that we need good journalists doing good work. Uh, and oftentimes that relationship between journalism and government is a contrarian relationship uh, that journalism acts as a, at least in the United States, as another branch of government. And it's a, a sort of check on or should be a check on uh, the other branches of government, legislative, executive, judicial. So um, I'm a proponent of good journalism and back to the digital revolution, digital technologies. You know, one of the things we're dealing with as a society is the fact that so many people now think news ought to be free. Uh, that's a common, I think, um, point of view among digital natives, among younger people, that news ought to be free. And I get it. We are then left with, well, okay, well, how are we going to pay for the people who produce our news? Do we want good news? If we do, how is it going to be paid for? Uh, and you can say, well, um, there's the advertising model. Well, okay, uh, the digital revolution has upended uh, the advertising models. And so all of these things are are interrelated, but absolutely, you, you really can't have a good a good conversation about um, media and governments uh, and good journalism without talking about WikiLeaks and Dan Oilsberg mm -hmm. and the Pentagon Papers for sure. Yeah, and that's that's a lot to really dive into. There's <laughs> so much, <laughs> so yes. much. All right, guys, if you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. It's what we use to make ours, so let me explain. First of all, it's free, and there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcast right from your phone or computer. Anchor will also distribute your podcast for you so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and many more. And you can make money from your podcast, guys, with no minimum listenership. It's awesome. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. So download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.fm to get started. Again, that's anchor.fm, A-N-C-H-O-R.fm. Well, page one inside the New York Times, I think is a good, it's a good documentary and it's pretty widely available. Um, and as I said, it's it's a decade or so old now, but it's important because it prompts viewers, I think, to think about, all right, what is my relationship to news in the digital age? And what am I expecting of news outlets in the digital age? And, and so you see even journalists at the New York Times, a storied institution, grappling with, all right, how are we treating quote unquote, uh, news that comes up on YouTube or, um, you know, video clips that come up on YouTube. Uh, and, and so it really, uh, it's a terrific piece. And the last thing I suppose I would say, um, relates to this idea of gatekeepers and, uh, a word that's kind of a mouthful disintermediation, disintermediation. And it has to do with, um, the value people place on having gatekeepers or not having gatekeepers. And so the value of disintermediation uh, is the value that says, I want to get the gatekeepers out of the way that let's just get rid of the filters. Let's just let information flow from a to C without B being involved. Uh, and I'm probably more old school. 
Um, I do think there are plenty of good and appropriate and ethical instances and contexts when information can go from A to C. I think there are other instances when uh, a gatekeeper is warranted. And I think when maybe, I don't know, but maybe when digital natives hear the word gatekeeper, uh, it sounds like a problem. You know, that this is someone who's trying to keep the truth from getting out, so to speak. Um, that's not what comes to mind when I think of gatekeeper. Um, this goes back to my earlier comments. And as we discussed, being able to think for yourself, but also thinking for yourself in concert with other people who are thinking for themselves. And that there is value that can come from a person saying, all right, I have this information. Um does the whole world need to know it right now? Um, and maybe another person can say, you know, maybe not. And a reason why not might be, well, um, innocent people are going to be hurt, for example, just, just as an example. Um, and so it, it's a complicated topic, but I think people might find some, some, uh, some interest in just thinking through, uh, what are their expectations with information and are there ever situations where you would want a team of good people saying here's the best and most responsible way to produce this information because we too those of us who are part of this team producing this information we too also value uh, peace or we too also value moral and ethical behavior uh, and we think that our best route to get there is through doing it this way and not that way. And so I think I can say all of that and still say, yeah, there are times when information leaks are appropriate. And, mm -hmm. and Daniel Ellsberg, I think, um, is probably an example of one. Um, and it's an example of where there was information that was not being shared. Uh, and he risked his personal freedom to share that. Uh, but interestingly, he, he went to the New York Times to help do it at least eventually. Right. And I, I really, honestly, I admire that level of passion sure. for the truth. Sure. And I mean, that's, you know, you've got Daniel Ellsberg who risks everything. And then you've got Julian Assange who, you know, risked a lot to, to go out and speak these things. So I just, I admire that. I really do. Um, Cause there's not very many people who would want to go out and risk everything because they've got their comfortable lives and you know is it enough to just know the truth i mean that's i was talking about this with somebody else is that knowing the truth is step one but what's the next step <laughs> what do we do about it yeah that's uh maybe that's the million dollar million dollar question um and i would say you know some people may think they know the truth and they know 90% of it, a 10% they don't know yeah. is, is critical. Um, someone once said, what gets us into trouble isn't what we think we know. It's what we, uh, quote unquote, know for sure that just ain't so. I'm, I'm, mm -hmm. I'm mangling the quote a little bit. Yeah. Um, a, a lot of us, we, we think we know things just uh, airtight 100% and we don't. And, the, and I would say humility comes back in. Um, and that's, I don't think the... Yeah. A call to humility does not have to preclude our commitment to, um, you know, peace and justice for all or liberty and justice for all or waging peace in the world. I don't think that um, reminding ourselves that we don't have all the answers 
means that, okay, well, we can't say anything now. No. Um, as I said at the beginning, we need everybody's best self on board. Um, and I don't think um, you know, people are called to do different things. Some people are called to produce news. Some people are called to read the news and act responsibly with it. Um, and I've known people who've committed their lives to uh, government. I've known people who've committed their lives to journalism. I've known people who've committed their lives to peace activism and on and on. And I have levels of respect for all of them. Um, as they say, it takes all kinds. Um, and uh, we just need everybody's best self moving forward, doing what they feel uh, called to do and doing so in a responsible manner. Yeah, I think people, and I think people too right now are so consumed and blinded by emotions. And I think that, you know, the media has played into, you know, allowing people to feel strongly about certain things, not to get into any specific political conversations, but it's really influenced people's emotions and the way that they view and see things going on. And I think that it's kind of clouded people's judgment because of how consumed with hatred they are for one thing or another, that they don't really want to see what might be, you know, something that's obviously right in front of them. Sure. And this goes back to, um, in, in my mind, uh, we could talk about the world of worlds broadcast in this context when some people misinterpreted information. Um, sometimes that misinterpretation was coming out of a context of fear. Uh, so back to uh, in the 1930s and uh, economic depression and the rise of the Third Reich in Germany and uh, you know, bad news on the horizon on several fronts. And you had people who were just legitimately afraid of various things. And when people are afraid, perhaps they are more susceptible to making bad decisions. And this doesn't, this doesn't, uh, you know, me, let's just take me. If I'm afraid, I'm probably more susceptible to making bad decisions. And so um, I think right now a lot of people are afraid. Uh, we have lots of challenges, and um, sometimes we, um, you know, I think some studies have shown that people who are heavy consumers of news tend to be more fearful, um, and, and we need to remind ourselves that we have some agency in our news consumption, in our media consumption. Um, and I think most people who are experts in media literacy, for example, um, say, you know, you have to set some boundaries, you have to set mm -hmm. some limits, uh, that the human brain and maybe even the human heart can only stand so much. Uh, and, and people maybe just need to hear a word that you know, they, we, you and I, we all have some choices that, that we can make. This is not a call for turning off the news because the news is bad. No. Uh, I think there is good journalism being done. I know people personally who are doing good journalism uh, and we need to take that into account. And we also need to realize that, uh, you know, hours scrolling through Facebook or hours scrolling through Twitter um, is maybe at the end of the day, it's not helping any of us become more informed, uh, let's say, and that we have some, we have some agency and we need to, stop thinking about the fact that 
well, media can only do things to me. No, we can do things with media as well. Mm-hmm. Our media research and scholarship shows us this, that uh, there have been times in our media scholarship history where we've thought the media just do things to us. Uh, and we've since realized, uh, no, we get to do things with media. And we can do some good things with media. We can do some bad things with media. Media is a tool, and we have power in how we use it. So what do you think the most important thing about this this topic is to leave our listeners with? Um, it, it probably sounds, yeah, I, when it comes to media consumption and, and news consumption, sometimes we're, we think we're consuming news and we're just consuming other people's opinions. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, there's probably blame to go around for how we have confused uh, quote-unquote straight-up news reporting with the proliferation of uh, opinion sharing. And everybody's got an opinion. Um, and I need to hear other people's opinions, of course. Um, but maybe we should be more careful about... Uh, conflating news with opinion. And it's interesting because so many people will say, I just want to hear the facts. I just want to hear the facts. Um, And yet, if you look at what's popular across our quote unquote news platforms, uh, the news reporting that's done by people who are trained in journalism, um, it can be hard for them to get their work heard, seen, read, listened to above people's cravings for uh, just someone who's, you know, outraged about this and they're sharing their opinion about it. And uh, so I can't say people just need to calm down because I think that's trite. Um, I won't say we should just calm down because in fact, we do have serious challenges. Um, But with respect to news consumption, information consumption, um, if I can say people need to calm down or be more intentional about what they're reading, um, that's a lesson for all of us, me included. And uh, we just, we have to be more intentional. You brought up mindfulness earlier. I think we can apply that to media consumption as well. Do you think it's it's better for people to try to find um, journalists who, how would you find good journalists to be able to that you that you feel you would be able to trust more so than the bigger platforms like the big news networks, CNN, Fox, all of those things? Yeah, I would say maybe um, I have thought it's helpful. Um, you, you can everybody can form their own opinion. I have thought it's helpful if people get to know a journalist, and so it, it maybe starts on the local level. Um, and maybe you live in a smaller town or you're closer to a, you know, maybe you have to drive into a bigger city, but um, news doesn't exist in a vacuum. Journalism doesn't exist. It's certainly not created in a vacuum. What we would call good journalism, it is written by and produced by real people who have real training in the you know art and skill of news gathering and reporting. And, um, I, I know some some real journalists, and I believe that they are they believe they're working for the common good. And I would say that they are indeed working for the common good. Are they perfect? No, they're not perfect. But but reputable journalistic outlets and institutions will say they're wrong when they are wrong. Right. 
they and, will correct the record. They don't go off half cocked. Mm -hmm. And generally speaking, it is still an institution and an endeavor that is marked by various levels of gatekeeping because they don't want to go off because there is a cost to be paid when they are wrong. Right. Um, and that's a different level of accountability than Joe Schmo with a Twitter account who, uh, you know, tweets a photo of something that, yes, it's interesting. And yes, we might even say it's newsworthy, but it is shared without any sort of background information or without any sort of context. And then you and I get to consume it and think we, you know, have are, are now more informed. Well, I, w I would say there's there's maybe a gap in understanding. So the short answer would be try to get to know a journalist mm -hmm. um, and, and you'll find, I think, that you can respect his or her or this person's work um, and then kind of go go from there. Go from mm -hmm. there. People just people need to start thinking for themselves, you know, being mindful and, you know, being less emotionally swayed into what they're consuming and be open to acknowledging that they're wrong. And that's, that's hard too. <laughs> that's so hard for people, you know, oh, well, I believed this my whole life. And people get so caught up and comfortable in their beliefs and their way of living that when, you know, they're faced with finding out that the way that they've believed their whole life is, has been a lie. Some people can't handle that. Yeah, it's, it's hard to say you're wrong. It, it can be hard to change your mind about something. And I would say we have to look at it from both sides of the coin. That is, if we want to be free to change our minds about something, and I would hope that if we're presented with information that we believe is true and accurate and factual, that would lead us to change our mind, I would hope that we would be open to doing that. Mm -hmm. The flip side of that is, when we encounter another person who has changed their mind about something, we have to allow for that. And we need to be you know, less quick to judge and to sort of lay all of the worst intentions at that person's feet. You know, mm -hmm. if you want this person to be open-minded and be able to change his or her mind, then, um, then give them some grace or some charity when they come forward and, and say, I've changed my mind about something. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, it's it, it, it's hard to do. No one, and, and no one likes saying I was wrong about something. I don't think that feels good for most people, me included. Right, and and I think another thing that makes it hard too when it comes to people changing is that these days a lot of people don't want to change, and you know it's just like with with somebody who's an addict or you know an alcoholic. If you send that person to rehab and they don't want to change they're going to come back out doing the same thing. So people have to want to change for themselves. People have to want to be open-minded and be open to accepting that they're wrong and, you know, realize like, oh, maybe I need to be more mindful on this and and understand that what I'm hearing may not necessarily be 100% true and I need to think for myself. But some people don't want that because they're so comfortable in what they know that they're scared. They're scared to yeah. find out that that's that that it's wrong, and so people these days seem are so turned off to, to being open to receiving the truth and being open to receiving other ideas. I think that's a dangerous thing that that we're dealing with in society now. Yeah, I, I um, yeah, I would say that uh, change is hard for various people for mm -hmm. various reasons. Yeah. Yeah. 
Well, Cliff, I really appreciate you coming on today. I think this was a really great conversation that we had and you've you've got a lot of knowledge and insight to bring to the table. So I'm I'm really glad that you came on today. Thanks, Stevie, for the uh, invitation and for your uh, thought-provoking questions. Great questions, and I'm glad you're interested in in media and, and what it represents. I, th- I mean, it's it's relevant, and I think people, you know, need to be educated about these things because society re- almost revolves around it. You know, it's it's a big a big thing in in the world that we live in, and it's important Absolutely. for people to understand that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Cliff. All right, guys, thank you again for tuning in to another episode of All Our Friends Are Brainwashed. Again, this is Cliff. Um, he's a professor on media and society. So take everything that we said today, you know, and just think about it for yourselves, guys. Um, but Julian and I should have another episode out next week for you guys. We'll be speaking with um, a woman on yoga and holistics. So we'll have a spirituality episode out for y'all. Um, go ahead and follow our Instagram page at all our friends are brainwashed um, for updates on upcoming episodes and when we post episodes. So go give us a follow and check out our next episode next week. But until then, thank you guys.